Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Uh, once again, uh, I'm Bill Reeser. Thank you, worship team. Amazing uh, job. I'm just so grateful for all of you. Um, just, uh, just on a personal note, I just want to thank you all for praying for me uh, for my trip to New York, for my sister's funeral and her passing away. Uh, your prayers and your love has meant so much to me. So thank you for praying. Uh, it's a special night tonight. I was just, uh, I, I, I've never been so excited to get back to California uh, from New York, and I was so exhausted, and we got, I got back Monday night, and I uh, sat in my chair, my thinking chair, and I turned on the TV, and right away, uh, I, turned, uh, I turned it on to one of my favorite movies, it was on the television, Forrest Gump, okay, it's the great, it might be the greatest movie of all time, okay, and I just love, I just, I just love Forrest Gump. Uh, I, I could watch it. I've probably seen it about 50 times. And, uh, and it's, just, it's, just, it's one of the best movies ever. So, so it went right to the scene where Forrest is sitting on a bench telling anyone who would listen to him everything about he did in, in his life. And it went right to a scene where his mother was dying. And Forrest went, Mama, what is my destiny? And in that conversation... Uh, she looks at Forrest and, and she says, well, Forrest, life is like a box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're going to get. So I brought a box of chocolates. Anyone, anyone want some chocolate? You want, you want some chocolate? Can't have it. It's my snack tonight. Sorry. Okay. Anyone can have it. You guys can have chocolate. There you go. Come on up. You, you win the chocolate. Anybody can have it. There you go. Take the chocolate. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, run, Forrest. Run. Okay. <laughs> And he, literally, the, the movie has Forrest running, uh, figuratively, and, figuratively and, and literally the whole movie. He's just running, run, Forrest, run. And the, one of the things I love about Forrest's character is that he was really comfortable being Forrest, wasn't he? I mean, here's a guy who really knew who he was. And because he was comfortable in his own skin, because he was comfortable in his identity, Forrest accomplished some pretty great things, didn't he? I mean, here's a guy who was just a war hero, a ping pong champion, started the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, the one you see on the Santa Monica Pier. That's, far, that's Forrest Gump, okay? Uh, I mean, he did some great things. Now, Forrest spoke a little slow, and he did all these things despite his obvious shortcomings. It's just an amazing movie. I just, I just love it. But here's the problem with the whole movie. It's fiction. But I will tell you this. Find me a person that is confident in who he is, in his identity. Find me a person who knows who he is. I'll show you a confident person. I'll show you a successful person. I'll show you a, per a person that knows his destiny. Now, for generations, people have struggled. We've all struggled. People have struggled with their identities. We search and yearn for it. We drive and strive towards it. It's that something we can never put our finger on, but it's always... It's that one thing that keeps us going on the journey. We can never really, really understand what we're looking for. But it's that identity. It's that acceptance, security, significance. And what I've discovered, and maybe you have too, is that it's really easy for people like you and me to never know what our identities are. We're born into a broken world. We're born into messed up situations. It's not uncommon for our parents and the people we grew up with to shape our identities in negative ways. 
even confusing ways. There are numerous people in your life who want you to be everyone and anyone but you. Why don't you be more like him? Why don't you be more like her? Why don't you act like her? Why don't you look like her? Why don't you think like him? We hear that all the time growing up. And it's so common to have our identity stolen from us and never recover from that identity theft. And it's so common for us to be fooled by the enemy, thinking that our, our identity is found by what we do. It's found by our accomplishments. It's found by what's been done to us. It's even found in our sins and our habits. And many of us, because we get our identities confused, we go around and we introduce ourselves with a false identity and we tell people, hi, my name is victim. Hi, my name is abandoned. My name is abused. My name is unloved. My name is pain that never goes away. My, pain, my name is loneliness. My name is addiction. And there are other probably thousands of identities and titles that we allow the enemy to trick us into thinking that that is who we actually are. But it's not who we are. We're not, we're not what we do, we're not our sins, and we're not our habits. Here's another thing that's common. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we will look for that acceptance, security, and significance in every place, everyone, except Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will have an identity crisis on our hands that most of us never recover from. Because only those things can be found in the purest form in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's also common for most people to never know, and listen to me very carefully, that your identity has been under attack. From the moment you accepted Christ, and it will be under attack to the moment you go home in glory and see Christ face to face. For many of us, our identity is under attack the moment we're born into this world. Listen to me very carefully. You can trace every crazy, bad, vile thing that's ever happened into your life and look at it as an, an attack on your identity. The life of Christ, the life of Christ was under attack. Not just his life, but his identity was under attack from the moment he started his ministry till he finished what he came to do to accomplish what he did on the cross. His identity was under attack the entire time. And if you don't understand that your identity is under attack, you're never going to experience victory and walking in the authority of your real identity in Christ. You have to be firm on who God says you are and believe it and walk in it and you'll have a victorious life. Now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a real transaction took place. This is a biblical fact of something that happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, listen to me very carefully, the new has come. The new has come. What's the new? You. You're the new. The new has come. The old is gone. The new has come. A real transaction takes place. You're no longer the same. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what people say you are, who they call you. That's not who you are. You see, you're made new. You were forgiven. You were given a new nature. You now have a new identity. 
You used to, maybe, if you're a guy, maybe you used to live like a punk, but now God calls you a priest. That's who he calls you. Maybe you used to be a royal screw-up, but now God calls you a royal priesthood. He gives you new titles that are contrary to how you think and how you believe and how you live your life. He calls you justified. He calls you holy. He calls you redeemed, sanctified, loved, accepted, and heir to his throne. You have the power of God. You have access to God. You have the spirit of God on you. You have the mind of God in you. You have the heart of God. You have everything and all the resources of God available to you because the old is gone, the new has come, a real transaction is take, has taken place in your life. That's, who you, that's what happens. You're no longer the same. You're made brand new with a new identity. It's like a royal, holy, universal makeover that Hollywood can't even come close to doing. I'm telling you, you're different. You may not feel different, but you are different. You may not feel forgiven, but you are forgiven. You may not feel loved, but you are loved. You may not think you're beautiful, but you are beautiful because God doesn't make junk. And that's what happens when you give your life to Christ. You are born again. You're no longer defined by what you do, what you did, or what's been done to you. Because it's so easy to give that title to ourselves. You are now defined by whom God calls you, period. End of story. Period. I got to have some water. Sorry. Period. God calls you somebody different than who you call yourself. That's it. He calls you somebody different than who you call yourself. God's desire is for you to walk in that new identity, to live in that new identity. He wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. And God wants you to know that you're beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. God doesn't want us to spend the rest of our lives trying to discover somebody that we already are. You don't have to work to get to this place. You are in this place. You don't have to work to get all these titles. These titles are something you inherit when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you'll never discover true healing. You'll never discover your destiny. You'll never discover what deliverance looks like. You'll never discuss what freedom looks like. Let me tell you what freedom looks like. Right there. I was a slave, now I'm free. Many of you were slaves, but your chains are gone. You've been set free by the grace of God. Compliments of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Satan, the deceiver, will convince you that your identity comes from what you do. God says that your identity comes from what he's already done for you. Busted. The world will tell you to follow your feelings and your desires. God tells you to follow him through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and his word. Totally different. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The world will tell you that you are born a certain way, opposite of God's creation and plan for your life. Well, God said he knew you before you were born and personally handcrafted you into existence made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Now, your parents or someone that you grew up with may have identified you as a mistake 
Or they may have even told you something so beautiful like, oh, you weren't planned. God said, I determined when you would be born. And I took the time to write a plan for your life that's filled with hope, it's filled with a future, of you discovering what it means to be my child and living under the titles and names that I have ordained for you. That's what God says. Listen to the world. You won't have a clue to who you are. You'll never have a clue. Listen to your feelings, emotions, attractions, desires. You'll never know who you are in Christ. Listen to the enemy, and you will hear that you are made in the image of junk. Listen to the truth of God, and you will hear that you are made in the image of God. Beautiful, awesome, amazing. Friends, I got to tell you, there has never been a time ever, I think, in history where people are so confused about who they are. I mean, five years from now, there'll be more public restroom options than there are flavors in Baskin-Robbins. Ten years from now, if you, if you call yourself a male or a female, you may not have a restroom to go to but your house. Why is that? Because people have no idea, first of all, that they're loved by an almighty God. That's the first thing. They have no idea that they're loved by an almighty God and that they are made in the image of God. And they are loved by God. Listen, the remedy for all this confusion, you may want to write this down if you've got to fill in the blank. Believe who God says he is and believe who God says you are. Listen, the answer to life's problems is in, those two, is in those two statements. Believe who God says he is and believe who God says you are. You get those two things down, there wouldn't be any need for any recovery programs in the world. You wouldn't need a step program. You wouldn't need a place to go to. You wouldn't need this or that. Your life would be set. Your anxiety would go away. Your fears would go away. Strongholds will be pulled down in Jesus' name. You get who God says he is and who he says you are and live that out. Your life is going to be a great life. People in recovery, they don't want to hear this because this means they'll be set free. They don't know what to do if they're going to be set free and healed. Well, I'll just go to another meeting. I'll just pick up my mat and go right back to the place where I, would, where I was sick and I'll stay sick and I'll remain sick because being sick is who I am. And when I'm sick, I get the attention that I want. And I love that attention, even though it's negative attention. Now listen, there are many ways to describe the Bible. I love, this. I love God's Word. It's been called the love letter from God to us, revealing the plan of God for our lives. And I love that. It's been called an instructional guide, a GPS model for us to follow. It's been called a, a book of prayer. It's been called a book of promises. It's been called, I like this, it's been called a book of people who've blown it and have come back to God. That's a good way to describe the Bible, right? But as I was studying for this lesson, God revealed to me that it's also a book of people not knowing and losing sight of who they are. It's a great book for that. Study the Bible and you'll discover people doing miraculous things when they believed who they were when they believed what their identity was. And like many of us, when they lost sight of who they were, their lives started to crumble. 
You can always find the correlation and when someone's life starts falling apart, they lose sight of who they are. The Bible is also a book of God telling people who he is and telling people who they are and what their destiny is from Genesis to Revelation. Getting back to Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump said, you know, I don't know if we're all floating around accidental like on a breeze. Right? I think if we're all honest, we've all felt like that at times. He was always searching for that answer. Or if our life really means something. You see, when we lose a sense of who we really are, and when we have a sense of who we really are, life is really, really good. But when we doubt that, things really, really get shaky. And you can be the most confident person in the world, knowing exactly who you are. But there's something that happens when you have a true encounter with God. Have you noticed this? When you get into the holy presence of God, it'll shake the foundation of your belief system, even your identity. It'll mess, it'll mess with you. Because to get in God's holy presence, it just changes perspective on everything. When it comes to your view of who God is, and when you come to the realization that he is a holy, holy God. And I'm not sure if there's a better example of this than the story in life of Moses. Now, if you're a professional athlete and you make the Hall of Fame, it's a great accomplishment. Uh, you, get, you get put in this museum where you get a plaque or a trophy, you get a big ceremony. It's a great accomplishment. But it is nothing compared to chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, which a lot of people refer to it as the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, the hall of faith. And it goes on to list people of faith in the Old Testament. And Moses makes the cut somehow. And here's what it says in chapter 11 in Hebrews about Moses. It says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's just stop right there for just a second. I want you to just see that. It's up on the screen. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, sometimes you just read scripture and you just read it. You say, what in the world's Bill getting at? That's an identity statement. Moses making, is making a huge identity statement where he doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want his identity to be Pharaoh's to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He doesn't want to be known as an Egyptian. He just doesn't want it. It's an identity statement. I don't want you to miss that. It says this. He chose to be mistreated. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And here's what that teaches us. Just be yourself. Moses was just being himself. Don't try and be someone else. I'm going to talk about this in a few more minutes. It's just, it's just hard work being somebody else. I lived that way for a long, long time. God made you for a purpose. He made you for a plan, a great plan. And there's nobody who can be you except you. Nobody can be you but you and be you at your best but you. God made you like no one else. Someone may look like you, act like you, but no one has the chromosomes, the genes. You are uniquely made. There is no one like you. 
You are made in the image of God. Now Moses had to deal with this identity stuff in the beginning of his life. You see, in Egypt, the baby Jewish boys were condemned to die, so his mother put him in a little basket, sent him to float down the Nile River, and somehow he makes his way in front of the palace. And the daughter of Pharaoh took Moses into the palace to raise him as her own son. Now Moses, through no fault of his own, had an identity crisis. It's not his fault. He was born Jewish, but he was raised Egyptian. He had to ask himself, I talk like an Egyptian. Get that song out of your head. You're old if you're thinking of that song, by the way. But seriously, he had to ask himself, who am I? Who am I? Moses finds himself at a major crossroad that would affect the rest of his life. If he said, I'm an Egyptian, he's got a pathway to power, to riches, to a great career, maybe even be Pharaoh someday. But he would have to fake his heritage. And if he said who he really was, Jewish, a Hebrew, he would be humiliated, kicked out of the palace, sent to live with a bunch of slaves for the rest of his life. But Moses saw his people And he saw his people being badly mistreated, and it bothered him. And he wanted to do something about it, and he couldn't be silent about it. And that tells me that Moses was a person of character, a person of integrity. Something burned in his heart for his people. Maybe he couldn't put his finger on it, but it always burned in his heart for his people. So he made a decision that cost him the next 80 years of his life. And you know, there's something liberating about just being yourself, isn't it? Don't you find that your best days are when you can just be yourself and not try and be anybody else, being comfortable in your own skin? Because the world is full of fakes and phonies. Trust me, it really is. Fakes and phonies of people who have no idea who they are. We pose, we posture, we position ourselves. You like that? That's my gangster pose. We position ourselves as people, Myra, keep quiet. We position ourselves as people wanting other people to only see the best side of us. Right? But because Moses realized who who he was, it got him in trouble. By the way, just side note right here, whenever you realize who you really are, you're going to get in trouble. You always do. It's good trouble. See, we get in trouble for some of our poor decisions, and then we, there's trouble that you get into because of who you realize who you really are in Christ. Well, Moses got in trouble. One day he saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian. He thought nobody saw him, but he was wrong. Matter of fact, he was really wrong. People knew about it, and word was spreading fast. Matter of fact, Pharaoh found out about it and put a contract out on his life. So Moses starts running. Run, Moses, Run. Run, Moses. So here's Moses running with a box of chocolates everywhere. (laughs) What's the first thing that happens with fear? The Bible says that fear came over Moses, and then he started running. That's what happens. Fear, we run. Fear, we run. There's a contract out on his life. Well, here's what happens. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. While Moses is running, he finds seven girls. Jackpot. And he rescues these these girls from some really bad dudes. 
I mean, these guys are really bad dudes. Here's what happens after he rescues these seven girls. The father of the girls invites Moses to dinner, and then Moses agrees to be on the first episode of The Bachelor because the father wants one of them to marry Moses now. Now, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how the other six got eliminated, but Zipporah, no relation to Jimmy Zipa, wins the prize of being Moses' wife. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. She gives birth to a son, and life is good for Moses. He's got chocolates. He's got a son. He's running. It's a good life. And But while all this is going on, God hears the cries of his people, and he's going to do something about it. He hears the cries of the Jewish people in slavery. They've been crying out for years, and he puts a plan in place to rescue them. And he picks Moses, and he peers to Moses and says, I'm sending you, Moses, to rescue them. Moses freaks out, loses sight of who he is, and God and Moses have an epic conversation with some of the most powerful identity statements declared in the Bible. Let's pick it up. It's in Exodus 3, 11, 14. It's up on the screens if you don't have your Bibles. But Moses said to God, When God tells him, I'm going to use you, I'm going to send you to go rescue my people. Moses said, who am I? Let's just stop right there. The first three words out of Moses is, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? It's an identity statement again, but it's a different identity statement now. Now he's questioning his identity. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, No problem, Moses, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you, and it's not you, it's I that's sending you. It's I that sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Here's Moses' response to that. His first word to that command and initiative. Suppose. Suppose. Let's just stop right there. You know what suppose means? Do you know what the the word suppose means in this context? It means great idea, God. Good idea. Awesome idea, God. But I'm sort of, find someone else. You got the wrong guy. I'm not on board with your idea. Did you run this by the team upstairs? Because I I I don't know if I can do this. I'm not on board with the plan. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to throw a bunch of fear-filled, doubt-filled scenarios that don't reflect who you are and obviously don't reflect who you say I am. And that's how this conversation is going to go. Moses thinks he's in control, but he's not. Here's what he says. Suppose, these are a bunch of objections that Moses has. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to tell them? And don't miss this. Notice how how Moses first questions himself, his identity. Now he's questioning God's identity. Who Who do I say is sending me? It's amazing. Here's what God said to Moses. I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. They got any questions? Tell them I am. That's who I am. I am. I am. 
And Moses misses. He misses the whole point of telling people that the God of the cosmos, the creator of the universe, is the great I am. He missed one of the most powerful identity statements ever declared in the history of existence. I am has spoken. At that point, Moses should have just said, well, thank you, God, for clarifying that you are I am. I'm not. Sorry for trying to play I am, but I realize that I'm not. Please forgive me for doubting and balking on anything you're asking me to do. So sorry. But that doesn't happen. Moses keeps going. This guy's got courage. Moses presents one objection after another, testing the patience of God. Back to verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What if they don't believe me? Suppose this. Suppose that. Suppose I run out of chocolate. What am I going to do? Moses, then Moses goes on to say, I'm not a good speaker. You know, we, we laugh. But all of you have said these objections to God. Don't ask me to speak. Don't ask me to preach. I'm not a good speaker. As a matter of fact, I have a speaking issue. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Words of Moses, exactly. Well, God answers that objection. He says, well, by the way, Moses, just so you know, I created your mouth. I created your speech, your tongue. And I give you the ability to speak. No problem. I got that one. Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And then Moses takes it to another level. Here's where the big objection comes. See if any of this sounds familiar. This took a lot of guts. Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Any of us do that? Anyone guilty of that? Please send someone else to do it. Here's what verse 14 says. Look at the screens. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. See, what became clear to me as I was studying this passage is that Moses missed out on who I am was. When you get in the presence of God, instead of shaking in your boots in fear, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. God doesn't want you to doubt him. I am spoke to Moses. I am who I am is all Moses needed to hear to get his marching orders. But here's the real issue. Moses didn't see himself the way God saw him. And because of that, Moses had doubts. You want fear and doubt to ruin your life? Question who God says he is and question who he says you are. And you'll be filled with fear and doubts, anxieties, and all insecurities that you'll never have a handle on. You want to eliminate all your fears and doubts? Never question who God is and never question who he says you are. It really is that simple. The great I am has spoken. And when you get to know the great I am in a personal way, in a personal relationship, it won't be long before you can start saying, and I want all of us to say this, I am who I am because the great I am said I am. Can you say, this is not green eggs and ham, this is I am. Come on, say, I am who I am 
Because the great I am said I am. Come on, say it again. I am who I am because the great I am said I am. I will have green eggs and ham tonight. And when you can start saying that, you'll become the victor instead of the victim. Your past will become your past. And your life will be a force to expand and enlarge the kingdom of heaven. When we launched the encounter, this ministry, and God gave us the 12 anchors of hope, I told you I had an encounter with God. I could hear loud and clear every one of the 12 anchors that God was speaking into my heart. I'm not saying I had a burning bush experience like Moses, but I'm telling you, I heard it like this. And those 12 anchors came like this. Boom, 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 boom. And I knew it was God speaking into my spirit. These 12 anchors of hope that were really the heartbeat of who God was, of how he wanted to deliver his people, disciple his people, and set his people free. And there was something specific in each and every one of the anchors that you probably have overlooked. And you know what was missing that you've probably overlooked was two words, I am. I am is in every one of our 12 anchors of hope. I am. Let me share them with you. Anchor number one. If you've got a bookmark, you can follow along. Okay, these are our 12 anchors of hope, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna share them in the, verb, in, in the verbiage of the great I am. And here's anchor number one. I am not well, and I am not the great I am, but I am, is, and I acknowledge that. Anchor number two, the great I am loves me, and the great I am can restore hope and healing. Anchor three, surrender my life to the great I am. Anchor four, I am who I am because the great I am said I am. Anchor five, I am not my past because the great I am made my past my past. Anchor six, I am a disciple and I'm not going to conform to this world but be transformed by the renewing of my mind by getting to know the great I am better. Anchor seven, I am a peacemaker. And I will offer forgiveness to others because the great I am has forgiven me and, and he's given me his peace. Anchor eight, the great I am has written a book that is the authority over my life and it teaches me everything I need to know about the great I am. Anchor nine, commit to a daily prayer life so I can experience the presence of the great I am. Anchor 10, I am has given me power, authority, and dominion over every wicked spirit that sets itself up against the knowledge of God to take thoughts captive and to win spiritual warfare battles. Anchor 11, the great I am has sent the Holy Spirit to be my help, my guide, and my source of strength to accomplish the great I am's plans for my life. Anchor 12, the great I am has commissioned me to go and always be prepared to give an account of the hope I now have. And if anyone should ask, who is this God that has sent you? I am to tell them that I am 
has sent me. Friends, I just want to tell you tonight, the answer has always been I am. When you feel rejected and all alone, I am. When you relapse, I am. When you're abused and you're looking for answers, I am. When you look up at the sky and say, God, are you there? I am. When you look up and you pray to God, say, is there any hope for me? I am. God, do you love me? I am. I need you right now. Can you reveal yourself? I am. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can last another day. I've pushed every button. I've pulled every lever. I don't know what to do next. I am. But I feel so helpless. I feel so hopeless. I am. God, I need you. I am. God, do you love me? I am. Can you fix this? I am. Can you heal this? I am. But God, I have cancer. I am. I've been diagnosed with this. I am. I don't know if I'm going to get through tomorrow. I am. Someone that I love just passed away. I am. I've got anxieties and fears. I am. When you need God and you need him to show up in your life, you have to believe I am. He'll be there. But you also have to believe who he calls you. And I just want to tell you tonight that you are made in the image of God. And the reason why I can tell you that with confidence is because I am said so. And when I am says it, it's done and it's settled. Don't take my word for it. Take I am's word for it. Now listen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to believe. The Bible says in, in John 1.12, to those that believed and received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. So in a few minutes, we're going to have three children. I call them children. Riley, you're not a child. Okay, you're an adult, okay? But Lily and Grace and Riley are going to get baptized because they believe and they're going to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Many of us think we're children, that we have the identity of children of God, but we're not children until we believe and receive Jesus Christ. And then he calls us his children, he calls us child, child of the one true king, and I want you to have those titles. I want, you to have, I want you to have salvation. I want you to know not only where you're going, but who you are. You'll never know where you're going until you realize who you are. And you'll never know who you really are until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Lily and Grace and Riley to come on up here. They're going to follow me into the, into the baptism as soon as I'm done praying. I won't invite anyone else that wants to go swimming tonight. And just run up here like Forrest did. Run, Forrest, run. But run tonight to the cross instead of running from the cross. Father, we just, we just give you tonight. And I just pray for everyone here. While three people are going to make a profession of faith and go public with that faith by getting baptized, I pray right now 
that we would all say a prayer of commitment to you right now by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and I trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and the free gift of eternal life. I choose to make you my Lord and Savior. And I'm going public with my faith because you died publicly for me. Thank you for saving me and thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit so I can live a life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.